Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 967. Uh, it is amazing to be back. I'm very excited to be back. Thank you so much to anyone who reached out and said they missed the podcast. Uh, I miss doing it. And so we're back. Um, the plan is to post Tuesdays and Fridays, but I think next week we'll be posting three episodes, which will happen from time to time. But uh, we've just, I've been recording a ton of them, um, a lot of really, really, really wonderful chats with people uh, that I'm excited about. And uh, yeah, so we're just, we'll be back into the swing of it. Um, they will be available, obviously, if you're getting on on iTunes. And then also, it's kind of building out ID10T.com. Um, that'll be the home for the podcast. Uh, and also, you know, just some fun, like, t-shirts and toys and stuff like that. So that'll be, uh, that'll be coming soon. And then also if you have a, an event that you, the corkboard's coming back. So if you have an event that you want us to talk about, share it at events at ID10T.com. And, uh, we will do that. Uh, this episode is Jamie Lee Curtis, who is a gem of a human being. Absolute gem. I mean, so funny and wonderful and, and, and told some really soulful stories on the podcast. So, um, I, I really, really, really was an honor to have her on, uh, this first episode back and the latest Halloween movie, which destroyed in theaters, um, was great. She was great in it. Uh, and I just, a huge congratulations to her and everyone at Blumhouse and the Danny McBrides of the world, uh, for bringing it back. And finally, um, I guess just by sheer coincidence, um, today, the posting of this episode is the five-year anniversary of my dad passing away. And, you know, I don't mention it to be a bummer, but I like to acknowledge it. I like to acknowledge him. Of course, I miss him every single day. But I, I do like to talk about it because if you're going through something like that, if you've lost someone, uh, I just want you to know that it does get better. It does get easier. All the things that you, that were sources of pain for you in the beginning actually become sources of strength. So, you know, it, look, I said this on Talking Dead the day after it happened five years ago, but with the holidays coming up, it's so easy to get overwhelmed. It's so easy to get caught up in stupid little things that, you know, frustrate you that really actually don't matter. The people close to you matter. And so, you know, if this motivates you to just take a breath, take a minute, 
reach out to someone that you care about, a friend, a family member, a significant other, whatever, uh, and just say, Hey, I just wanted you to know I was thinking about you. Um, you'll appreciate that you did someday. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the important stuff in life. So I appreciate you. Uh, and I appreciate that this is the ID10T podcast number 967 with the hilarious and incredible Jamie Lee Curtis. Initiating ID10T protocol. Well, I'm an adult male, and I'm wearing a Millennium Falcon zip-up. You are. You're wearing a retro. Mm. You really do look about 14. <laughs> That's my... You know, aren't we? don't we live the rest of our life in service to our 14-year-old self? Isn't that really what... Well, that could be a conversation. Let's, let's, let's have it. All right, Chris Hardwick. All right, Jamie Lee Curtis. I, you, by the way... Don't get to say anything. You do. What do you want to say? Nothing. You did one of my favorite things ever. Uh-oh. I mean, like, of favorite life moments, you're a part of one. Wow. I ran into you the day before I was getting married. And we were at this little trinket shop mm-hmm. on 3rd. Mm-hmm. And you go, what are you doing? I go, I'm getting married tomorrow. And I was buying all these, like, we give each other, the, the wife and I gave each other presents before we got married. It's sort of like a pre-wedding present thing. I know. So I bought all these things. And I was explaining all of them to you. I'm like, and then I bought this dandelion frozen in a cube because it's like a permanent wish. And I get, I gave all this thing. And you were across the store and you go, you know what? Fuck you, Chris Hardwick. Fuck you and your brand new marriage. Fuck you. It was one of my favorite. The clerks didn't know what to do. And I absolutely loved it. Wow. Do you remember that? I have a vague memory of it. <laughs> I think I was just talking about the preciousness of it. That's what I mean. There's a, there's a... There's a new preciousness that I, it's sort of big, it's sort of an Instagram business now, weddings. Oh, absolutely. Right. But it it did, I mean, there have always been weddings and there have always been wedding sites and magazines. And of course, wedding magazines are the only magazines that won't go out of business because that and, you know, um, well, children's stores are going out of business, but wedding magazines won't go out of business. So I just, you were just a little precious. It was a little too precious. It was like a little too much for me. It was just a, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if you had said you had icebreakers make custom icebreaker mints with your guy's initials on them or something that you presented her. Well, my wife didn't have little jars of honey made with our names on them. I hate you people. (laughs) Is this part of the podcast? I believe it is. Wow. We've already started. So you started. don't even, you don't no. even go like, hi, it's Chris. I'm, no, do you no. know why? I'll tell you why I don't do it. If you want to know, I'll tell you why. Because when you do, because people, and I've done them a million times, people get so into junket mode that if you say we're beginning now. No, you, I understand. You, Dude, I've been doing the Halloween hustle all over the world. I know. I've been singing. Do, 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 the hustle. But that's all I've been doing. I've been doing this hustle for 
three months now. And so trust me, I understand. And, you know, you're, you know, we're going to yak for a little while. We're going to yak. Normally you get three minutes or four. And so you get into junket mode because you know you have to drop into what you need to say that will be germane to what will drive them to the theater. You know, it's a very specific, it's not talking points. They don't, by the way, give me, no. can you imagine them? I have had people send me talking points before and I'm not an, a, an aggressive person. Like I don't push back very hard, but when people send me talking points, <laughs> Who is sending I, talking well, points? I, I get on the phone. I'm like, hi, it's Jamie <laughs> Curtis. Um, I'm 60, and you just sent me talking points. Like, you think I'm going to pay attention to your talking points? I've got enough fucking talking points. I've got them. I know them. And I will distill this and communicate this in my way, which is why I am the one on the microphone. Like, I, and I'm not saying that out of some, it's not, that's not ego talking. That's literally. The reality is like, why do you hire me? Why did they hire me to do commercials for all those years? I did, I did Hertz commercials with O.J. Simpson wow. and Arnold Palmer when the young business executive woman was new to the marketplace and all of a sudden rental car companies had to factor in the fact that a lot of business women – were renting cars and they hired me to represent the young businesswoman and Arnold Palmer and O.J. Simpson were the ones standing in the airport. I ran through the airport and jumped over the suitcases and Arnold Palmer used to sort of elbow O.J. and go, didn't you used to be able to do that? And O.J. would go, mm-hmm. And that was the joke. He was sort of the, excuse me, the boob, if you will, the right. sort of rube of the of the commercial and I was the know-it-all and that was how they were constructed I knew everything they knew nothing and I did those I've done a lot of commercials people have hired me to sell their products as you know I sold yogurt that makes you shit for mm -hmm. six years yeah shit yogurt's great but by the way for people who need it the product was amazing and ultimately it was helpful for people, and believe me, don't don't think that there wasn't a conversation or two about like really, <laughs> like really. Are you sure? You know what? And you know what? For me, it was a gig. It allowed me to stay home with my son. Um, it uh, you know it it gave me uh, an income, and it was a product that people needed and liked, and people would come up to me all over the world and say. I just have to tell you. And they would tell me their bowel stories. And I, I would smile at them and genuinely be like, okay, groovy. If that's that's your podcast is. right there. You travel the world and people tell you their shit stories. That is a podcast. But, but weirdly enough, you see, I was the one, because I'm a marketing person as I was on this movie. I'm a marketing girl. Like if I'm anything, I'm a marketing girl. Mm -hmm. I'm a marketing person. I love good marketing. And I started recording those people on my iPhone or my whatever phone it was at the time in an airport. And I would do the, hi, this is Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm here at the Denver airport and I'm talking to uh, Gail. Hi, Gail. I'm a man named Gail. <laughs> and that's interesting mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm -hmm. But 
Tell me what you just shared with me uh, when I walked up and you were like, oh, my God, it's you. Oh, for the longest time, I was convinced my asshole was fused shut because I could not go to the bathroom, you know. And, and what happened? And my wife, Ed, said to me, uh, short for Edwina, uh, said to me, you got to get some of this shit yogurt. Jamie Lee Curtis is talking about the shit yogurt. And I'm like, the lady from the Hertz commercials? And she's like, do it. it it'll, it'll run out of here like she's running through the airport. And I ate this yogurt and it just like a slurpy machine just came out of me oh your flight just left i'm sorry i must have been talking for too long and i would record that and send it to my bosses and say (laughs) use this use this this is real this is happening in the airport and instead of the scripted Mm -hmm. you know uh, a very um uh, orchestrated commercial I thought they were fantastic. So anyway, yeah. well, that's but you have the skill set, and and a lot of actors do not necessarily have the skill set to be able to talk as themselves. And most people are very like a lot of people. I think become actors so they don't have to be themselves or talk as themselves. And you are comfortable doing both. Well, I'm going to Missy Elliott you and flip it and reverse it because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, I am. I have now, I don't want to be other people. Like, they have to drag me to be other people. It used to be I wanted to be other people. I didn't want to be myself. Loved the idea of being another person, dressing like another person, you know, being uh, something, anything but me. Then all of a sudden, when I got sober, all of a sudden, the shift happened where I started to really like who I was, where I was, who I was with, what I would wear. And all of a sudden, this need to be other people started to wane. And and that, I think, is probably the greatest gift of being a sober person is that all of a sudden, I actually like being myself and I don't need to hide who it is. And yeah, that's great. That was the sort of spinning moment, if you will. How long has it been for you? I'll be 20 years sober in February if... I make it through the Halloween hustle because <laughs> I got to tell you, there are some expectations afoot. Yeah. And I am trying to stay the fuck away from them. Yeah. Stay away. I put the sign of the devil up, you know, with the cross yep. up in the, uh, with my fingers. When anybody involved with this movie or people on the street will go, oh, my God, I saw the trailer. It's going to be a monster. And I just put my fingers up and I'm like, back off, evil devil. Don't do it. Back off. I don't want to know. I don't want to imagine it. I can't because it doesn't exist. It It's ephemeral. It is literally not concrete. It doesn't have any form. That is an unknown uncontrollable totally uncontrollable and unknown now if you told me that there was a pre-sale number then i could say oh okay there's the pre-sale mm-hmm. great oh that's good but all of this sort of ephemeral stuff of like whatever the and, the result yeah is the result too much for me result oriented is great because i i just had 15 years of myself huh? and it is that kind of there's uh, it's so hard to – I was talking to a friend of mine about how um, we are very uh, – like pe- people with our thing are very goal-oriented people, and we, but we can sort of get lost in more, 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 trying to achieve more, everything outside ourselves. And it is a constant – I mean, do you think it's a constant uh, – not struggle, but a constant thing to just be happy with who we are? It's a daily thing. A daily thing to just wake up and be where your feet are, not where your head is, and not 
um, want to be anything more than who you are in that moment. Right. And let the day unfold, by the way, and the day will unfold as it will, and wonderful things are going to happen and horrible things are going to happen at the same time. Because when something good happens, Paul Allen died. Right. A young guy. You go, oh, when you think of his family and all the people that knew and loved him. And then I, I never met him, but I have friends who knew him. And he was a wonderful guy. Yeah. Loved music. Like loved music. And anybody who's that devoted to music... You know what their life was because I'm devoted to music. I listen to music all day, every day, all day, every day. News and music, KCRW. I could do. <laughs> could... You listen to member supporter exactly. KCRW. I mean, that's my life. And so when I thought about him and I thought about how much music he loved, I understood who he was. Yeah, and also it's a good message for people who are like, man, I wish I had like $20 billion. Like, doesn't matter. Didn't matter. Doesn't oh, fucking matter. And by the way, uh, we're talking about drug addiction and, and recovery. You know, Prince was as great an artist as we will ever know. Right. Just from his, the standpoint of his uh, poetry and, and musical talent and, and presentation and he was a dope fiend. He was a dope fiend. He was a dope fiend on fentanyl patches and fentanyl pills and was pacing in front of a Walgreens two days before he died of an overdose. It, it, none of it matters unless, from my standpoint, unless you wake up, be where your feet are and not try to... to live in your head because my head will not it's not a safe neighborhood you know <laughs> no, no. ear to ear not a good neighborhood well that's the thing is that i think it's it's so gang warfare warf yes gang yes. warfare and, and the, the gang side is you're a piece of shit no you're fantastic you're a piece of shit no you're fantastic it's the jets and the sharks but they're in your head and it's you know, it's banging you around, and you're trying to walk steady, and it's very difficult. I know, I know this gang war in in the head, and yeah. I think the the incredible thing to learn. I, I I do think that part of our um, I think our settings are off because I think we have to feel things. We have to feel extreme things. We feel extreme drama. We feel extreme happiness. We feel extreme sadness, and it's somehow we have to learn how to reset and know that. Not feeling something is okay in stillness. I feel like we're just constantly running from but stillness. That's why when you wake up, you be where your feet are, and, not and where your still. head is. And then you sort of center it, and then you go out from there. And I'm not telling you or anybody, God knows why they would listen, but anybody listening, apparently people listen to Some you. Some people do, yeah. Apparently so. A couple people do. If they saw that jacket, <laughs> they would listen even more. No, I I fear if they I saw the jacket. No, I don't know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> you think a Millennium Falcon seventies retro rainbow members only jacket is something that would be a draw? I think it is a Robin Hood shot in the dead square bullseye of our demographic. Oh, is that true? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's just okay. Okay. I mean, and it says Kessel Crew on the back. Of course, it does. Yeah, there you okay, go. Okay, good. You well, see some of that. okay. I'm. I'm just back. gonna. Do you want to borrow it later for your 
Yeah, I want. Let me wear it to the. premiere. And I'll wear your sweater. Let I'll me wear, wear your... it to the premiere. Can I, is that a pashmina or is that a sweater? No, it's actually actual cashmere. Oh, it's cashmere, it is, darling. It's very well, soft. Mine's polyester, very, darling. Very soft. Oh, yours is very nice. Yes, it's very nice. But look, it's on the floor in a pile. Yeah, well, you know, listen. If you want to borrow it later, or for no. you know, when you go on the Australian, well, think about no. it. If you, Thank want you. To borrow... <laughs> it's okay. You sure? You're it's really taking your time with this one. No. Are you sure that? Okay. No, it's all, right. all good. You know, come home. You know, like no, I will surprise the family with no. a new. Okay. No. All right. I'm just. I'm, I don't even. I don't even think my son Tom would wear it, and he's probably in. In Tom would. You know, your son would probably say it's such a special zip up that I don't want to wear it for fear of you know ruining How it. How old in the are world. you? It's not important. How old are you? <laughs> I'm almost forty-seven. Right. Okay. <laughs> why do Why do you have to hold up a mirror like that? Well, that's the whole idea of our lives is we hold up the mirror and we look in the mirror because if we're looking in the mirror, we're looking at the problem. That's right. And you see, if you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at the problem, the only person you can change is you. True, but you can't look in the mirror too long. Otherwise, you'll think the entire world is a reflection of you. And boy, is that a problem. Yes, or you can't look in the mirror too long or you'll pull out the tweezers and start plucking your eyebrows. I have a timer. And go, and each one you pull, you go, I'm a piece of shit. I'm fantastic. No, no, no. When I, when I, because women will, do do any women listen to this? Yes. I don't know, Chris. It's true. It's true. Okay. So any women who are listening to this, um, you know, they now have 20 magnification mirrors. <laughs> and when you get a 20 magnification mirror and a pair of eyebrow tweezers and some good natural light, you can, you got like, you Why can, do we need 20X? It's too much. Yeah. And so I actually set a timer. I'm allowed one minute per eye. <laughs> because if not, I will have no eyebrows no at one, the end of it. No, the world can't see you at 20X. Why would you need but to see you somehow, at 20X? They make something that you can see, and it's just, it's shocking. It's like you have in there, there's more than you could ever, you don't want to know what's in your eyebrows when you actually get a 20X going. Listen, the majority of capitalistic consumerism is, you should feel bad about yourself. Buy this. (laughs) Well, as you know, or may not know, the quote that I have lived my life on is from the Princess Bride, when the man in black, who is really Princess Bride's lover, Wesley, when Wesley is dead and she's crying and she he laughs or something and she says, you mock my pain. And he looks at her and says, life is pain, princess, and anyone who tells you different is selling something. That is how I live my life because this idea of selling something, this constant – I told you I'm a marketing expert. Mm-hmm. It's just the constant, constant flow. And then you married the six-fingered man. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) But you were already married by that point, right? Yes. You were? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We were married almost instantly. And you're still married? Apparently. That's... (laughs) You must read... Those papers. I, I I don't read anything anymore. The news is just too toxic. I'm I'm with you, and I'm about to, you know, flush my phone because I just can't. I mean, it's just too much comes in from that device now. It's too much. It is too much. There's going to be a backlash. There will be a backlash. It will be big. Even our friend, Sean James. Oh, the best. I adore him. Even Sean James posted yesterday something about just social media and the responsibility of it is too much for all of us. Yeah. And we have to, as a group, 
<laughs> I would like the jury to note that uh, the witness has uh, flicked the bird. But I flipped the West Coast bird. The, oh, because the, there's this one. That Okay, this is West. Yeah. That is uh, East. East. Oh, so East Coast is when you kind of like mash all your fingers together. Yes, and, and it's just a single. Yeah, it's just a single um, like um, tr- um, like a log just log bursting from the ground. Log coming straight up. And uh, West Coast, you've pulled it back like a trigger. Yeah, you've pulled it back and your fingers are sort of down. Bent, yes. Yeah, bent that's down. That's the West Coast. It's very artsy this way, too. This is just like, I fucking can't. Well, but that's the whole New York thing. Exactly. See, and we're artsy out here. What do Midwesterners supposed to do? They have to pick a side or do they get their own? Is there... No, I'm joking. I know. I don't know. I don't know. This will be an interesting (laughs) mail or something. How do you get even some mails for people to argue about on social media? Exactly, and then somebody can Twitter or tweet or whatever they call it that you know. I insulted them. I didn't mean to. I'm sure. In the Midwest, I have friends in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. Is that is that Midwest? Yeah. Is that like straight straight up Midwest? I'm going to say yes, and someone will correct me. Kansas, Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 Oklahoma City. So I'll have to ask Sarah. Um, Cunningham, I'll say Sarah. How do you guys flip people off? But wait, so you got a, you got married pretty quickly, like immediately. And uh, was it? How, how did you know? So I saw Chris's picture in Rolling Stone magazine. I was sitting with Deborah Hill, who wrote the original Halloween, uh-huh. and became one of my best girlfriends. And Deborah was over at my apartment. I was single. I was sitting in my apartment. And I opened a magazine. It was Cindy Lauper on the cover. It was mm-hmm. um, girls just want to have say, fun. Yeah, exactly. I want to say May 1984, and her skirt's going one way, and she's going the other. I remember that cover. Thank you. Uh, and I was looking at it, and I flipped the page, and there was a picture of of three guys with their arms kind of around each other's shoulders, just in like a plaid shirt, and you know, regular looking guys. And I said out loud to Deborah, "Oh." I'm going to marry him. And I pointed to the guy on the right. And she said, oh, who? I said, that one. She said, oh, yeah, that's Chris Guest. I tried to put him in a movie. I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to marry him. She said, well, he's with your agent. See, you know. And I was like, oh. So the next day I called his agent. And he picked up the phone. He said, hey, I know all about it. Chris Guest. <laughs> Jamie is looking perplexed. Uh, I was embarrassed. I said, "I'm sorry." He said, "Deborah Hill called me." Wow. I said, "Okay, well, here's my number. I think he's cute." He never called me. What? Didn't call me. And then I dated somebody else who wanted to date me. That didn't end up being a relationship. I took that person to the airport. Said goodbye to him. I was making the movie Perfect. I was doing training. I went and picked up Melanie Griffith and her then husband Steve Bauer in West Hollywood. We went to Hugo's. We sat down, and Chris was two tables away facing me. He acknowledged me like this, <laughs> which is sort of a sweet smile and a wave of his hand. And I kind of did the thing back. And then two minutes later, he got up to leave and he stood and he shrugged his shoulders and put his hand up like, bye. And I went, okay, bye. And he didn't come over and he left, but he called me the next day. We went out July 2nd. He was leaving for New York to do Saturday Night Live for a year. I remember that. August 8th. We got engaged September 15th and we got married December 18th. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. So you got married, that by the way was 
may have been the greatest season of SNL in the history of SNL. It was a, it was a, <clears throat> there were th- really funny things on it. Synchronized swimming is super funny. Uh, Frankie and the two guys who talked about, guys pain. Who talked about Billy pain. Crystal. Very funny. They did a couple great movies. You know, I mean, it was, a, there were beautiful things on it. And then like every season there, you know, there's a reason why the certain sketches are at the beginning of the show and certain sketches are at the end. <laughs> Need I say more? So you were there that whole time. Uh, yes. And did you, you left a lot out. I mean, listen, this might be personal. Wow. But between, between the, he called you and then he went to New York and then did you go on like dates or did you have oh, to get no, to know no. each other? Call, to, like, I said, talk no, 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 phone? I'm sorry. That was June 28th. We uh, saw each other June 28th. He called me June 28th. We went out July 2nd. And then he left August 8th. But he tried to get out of his contract. So oh. we went out July 2nd. So immediately he was calling his agents asking if he could not go to New York. He was going to give up the best season of SNL for you. Yes, he was. That's fantastic. But he couldn't because oh. legally they wouldn't allow no, it. So he left. Happen. So we were in love with each other right away. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I was still shooting the movie until December. Right. And as soon as I finished the movie and his season finished at Christmas, he came back. We got married on a Tuesday afternoon at four. <laughs> we were home by 730. My sister Kelly is still mad at me. If you're listening, Kelly, I don't think she would be because she's not that into the Millennium Falcon. Okay. But should she be listening or a friend of hers, if anybody here knows Kelly Curtis, please tell her that I apologized on, is it national radio? I mean, it's international, really, intergalactic if you really want to be technical. I mean, this signal could So there could be people in China listening to us? Everywhere. Wow. Yep. You're popular. Yeah, I know. Okay, so anybody in the world who knows... (laughs) Kelly Curtis or knows how to find her, please let her know that I publicly, in front of the universe, apologized for going home from my wedding at 7.15 when she wanted to keep dancing and actually have a wedding. When Chris and I sort of stood there, we swayed back and forth for our wedding dance. We cut the cake. We ate a piece. And it was like, okay, I'm good. You? Yeah, let's go. I mean, it's your wedding. You can do whatever you want. We went home. Yeah, that's great. Did everyone else stay there? Nope. I think the whole thing was over, really. Right. Everyone should put down your drinks. Just everyone yeah, get out. They, they left. No, no, no. I mean, it was fast. The, I think the wedding, actually, I think we actually got married. I, we have a picture from the wedding. Duh. A couple. And there is a picture of um, the woman who married us. And Chris's watch is in the picture. And I think it says 4.30. So I think we were married at 4.30. <laughs> right and then we were home by 7.30. That's one of those like Columbo details. Like if you look at the picture, you can you see know, the watch. I, you were on Columbo. I one of my so you may not know this, but my when I was first a young actress and I was on Emergency and Quincy and I had two lines here and two lines there. I did a Columbo episode. I was a contract player at Universal Studios and I did a Columbo episode. And the gig was I was a waitress in a coffee shop and Columbo came in with another guy to talk and he came in holding a donut and I come up to the table in my gruff waitress voice and say uh you can't eat that here and he goes oh oh, oh I'm I'm oh I'm I'm sorry I <clears throat> um 
And then he doesn't know what to do with it. And then he kind of hands it to me. And then I look at it and put it in my pocket and walk away. Then there's a scene about the episode. And then the button is I come back in at the end and go, okay, do you know what you want? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, he looks at the menu and then he goes, oh, um, mm, I'll, uh, I'll have a donut. And there's like the button where I glare at him and then I go. So I do this like two, like two hour job. And yeah, a week later, two weeks later, a friend of mine says, hey, I saw you on Carson last night. Super cool. And I was like, wait, what? And they said, yeah, Peter Falk was on Columbo. And he brought that clip with him because it had nothing to do with the plot. Right. You know what I mean? That's like a Columboism yeah. without it being too integral to the plot. And that's when like 40 million people a night watch The Tonight Show. And it was, you know, it was my third gig. I was oh. on The Tonight Show in a clip with Peter Falk. That's fantastic. And people have really, people who are listening to this are completely robbed of the physicality that you took on of Columbo. Well, you he did. had. A, you a did it, though. Well, I um, listen, uh, you have to remember who I married and who he's <laughs> friends with. Right. There is a bad imitation club that you can only join if you do a bad imitation, but you also have to be able to do a good one. So I used to do, be able to do Diane Keaton in The Godfather, which I don't remember anymore, but it was the whole run about um, when they're fighting mm -hmm. and he thinks it was a miscarriage and she says it was abortion. It was an abortion, Michael. <laughs> you know, the whole thing of because this must all end. Um, and I used to be able to do it and then I think I got into the club, but you have to be able to do a bad one. So the guys who can really do impressions and stuff uh, do I'm going to argue that your Columbo's good. It's okay. It would it get me in the club as the bad imitation, yes, but I don't have the good imitation to get in the club. See what I mean? You have to be able to do a really good one, and I'm not going to. I will get in to the bad one, but I won't actually get into the club because you have to be able to do a good one. It's it's a listen. There's a lot of rules. there's a lot of rules in Hollywood and show business and <laughs> comedy, one and one of them is. Oh, the number of unspoken rules in comedy is is upset. It's just like, oh, you can do this, but you can't do this, and then you can tag this joke, but then you can't do it this way, and then you can. I mean, like comedians, we're just all terrified that we're not doing it right always. Well, I don't refer to myself as a comedian, and therefore I don't have to worry about oh, doing. Darn I know, it. darn it! It's funny to me that you. We're well, not funny, but it's interesting that you chose to go into this business, especially because, I, I mean. Having super famous parents, didn't that ever put you off and be like, I don't want any part of this? You know what? I, but I didn't choose. You know, nothing I have done has ever been a choice, honestly. I know that's going to sound – people are going to be like, wait, what? This bitch is crazy. Columbo. <laughs> what is she saying? <laughs> um, I – my parents were divorced. You know, my mom was not working a lot in when I was a teenager. You know, at that point, her career had – you know what I mean? The the majority of her career was virtually over. Mm -hmm. She did not a lot of work during my teen years. So it wasn't like I was around her working. I was when I was a child, but not when she was, when I was a teenager. My dad I barely knew. So it wasn't like I was uh, sort of uh, steeped in movie world. I lived a pretty weird kind of regular life, honestly. And... 
I I was not that smart, and I wasn't particularly. I, I wasn't in any plays. I was I was a ham. I was a show off. I was somebody who needed a lot of attention, um, and so much so that I mean I am this person at eleven. I'm this person. I'm you know I'm I am who I am. I am who I am. It was that that was a bad. Oh, that was... Um, it was saw, almost Popeye. No, it was Popeye because I saw the Robin Williams documentary, which is oh, really... from the Robert Altman Popeye. That was the Robert Altman Popeye. Yep. <clears throat> but I am this person, and Ray Stark, who was my mother's friend, who I used to see when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, asked my mother if I could audition for The Exorcist. And she said no, naturally. And then when The Exorcist... Um, came out on my 15th birthday. We screened it for my party. And it was so terrifying that for the rest of my life, all of my friends would chase me down the hall at school going, Demi, Demi, why you do this to me, Demi, Demi. And I would freak so badly that I ended up naming my first car my 1972 blue four-cylinder Capri, Demi. Demi. Oh. It was my license plate. And see, and then, then you dovetail into a spectacular horror career. But, but, but again, it was by accident. It was totally by accident. I was not supposed to be an actor. I never thought about being an actor. I was not an actor at all. I was a ham, but I was not an actor. I had no skills. I can't sing. I can dance a little. I, I don't do impressions, although apparently I do. You got you got a couple um, in the chamber. I'm gonna. <laughs> you got a couple in the chamber. I'm gonna already. throw down one thing before I leave, just because I can. <laughs> um, but I was not. I was barely a student. I I barely got out of high school. I got into the only college where my mother was the most famous person to have ever graduated. They wanted me and my D plus average because I was their girl. They wanted right. me and I was a little sister at a frat. I can't sing the Omega-5 frat song because that you'll shut them down if I sing it on the radio. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, you will shut them down. You will go find those people and shut it down because it was... It was... No, it's bueno. No bueno. <laughs> no bueno. Um, but I was that person. I was just this sort of bounce. I didn't know what the F I was doing. I really didn't. And I came home at Christmas. By I came home. A friend of mine had a house who had a tennis teacher on her house because she had a court. And he came up to me. His name is Chuck Binder. He's still in the business today. I gr I'm grateful to him for my career because he came up to me and said, I'm managing actresses now. They're looking for Nancy Drew. Why don't you go up for it? And I was like, okay. And I went up for it and didn't get it. But I ended up getting a seven-year contract from Universal and I quit school. Oh my gosh! And that's so I was. Shows. It was an accident. Yeah, but then Halloween was seventy eight. Yes. So then I did a, a bunch of TV shows. <clears throat> I did a, a TV movie called Operation Petticoat. They picked it up and made it a series. I was now on a series on ABC, a comedy, and I got fired, along with all the other actors except for two, because that was the problem with the show, was the, the actors were bad. <laughs> Not the premise, by the way, that five army the... nurses are stuck on a Navy sub week after week after week, when in two hours of a movie, they get on, frolic, 
and then get off. Right. Like there's the, the premise of premise that show weekly is solid. It's good. It was the actor. <laughs> it was the yeah. Why? And they fired me. Oh I got fired from a regular gig, and I thought my life was over for anybody who has been fired. If anybody's listening, which he tells me there is, but some I'm, of you are. There's I'm at not, least twelve. I'm not so sure. There's at least 12 and a couple people in China. We've determined this. Okay, but there are 12 are all your family. Yeah, I know. I know. They're but, very so that supportive. really doesn't... I understand, yeah. but it's sort of sad to Extended me that you sort cousins. of pay them to watch. I know. Fake I, it until you make it is what I... Okay. Pay, pay your relatives so, until you make it. Who I don't even know where we were. Where were we? We were talking about how you got fired from oh, Operation so Petticoat, fired. the greatest sitcom premise in the history of television. If anybody out there has ever been fired and you think your life is over, I'll tell you this. Had I not been fired, I would have done a second season of Operation Petticoat, and I would have been unavailable to audition for the movie Halloween. But because I got fired, I was available, and Chuck Binder put me up for uh, the part of Laurie Strode, which I auditioned for many, many, many times, and ended up getting it. You never know what light is around the corner. Well, <clears throat> I operate my life um, on a quote from an author named Marisha Pessel, who wrote a book called Special Topics in Calamity Physics. It's a great book. It's a mystery. And in it, she talks about how we all think life is going to proceed for all of us. And she's, you know, what school you went to and what you're starting, you know, what job you had and blah, blah, blah. And she says, it's not, you know. And she says, I quote, life hinges on a couple seconds you never see coming. And what you do in those seconds determines everything from then on, and you won't know what you're going to do until you're there, end quote. So that's how I approach life, because that's life to me. You know, our friend Sean James, our mutual friend who's been cutting my hair since 1998, one of the dearest people I know who does makeup for me for all my shows. I love him to pieces. Um, my dad, As do I. He's the best. So he wouldn't wear that jacket either. <laughs> yes, he would. No, he would wear this jacket no, with like had Vivian, Vivian Westwood, Westwood pants thing on and it. these crazy shoes with like wings. I understand. On them. If that was a Vivian Westwood yes. jacket, he would wear it. He would not and he, wear and the he Millennium would look Falcon. Amazing in it. He he is amazing, but so, he wouldn't wear that one. Here's how much I owe Sean James <clears throat> my life: is that my dad died very suddenly in 2013. The next day, I went to work. I met this girl very briefly who was a mutual friend of Sean and mine, uh, didn't talk to her again for almost a year. The next year, I was single. Sean said, you should go out with Lydia Hurst. And I go, yeah, I met her last year, but my dad had just died. I barely remember it. I don't know. And he goes, you should ask her out. And I go, okay, I'll just call her and ask her out. And he goes, well, I already asked her out for you. And she said she'd go. Wow, and I was like, look what? at you throw down a little Sean James just in the a middle little, of this. Just a little Sean James. And so he- Excellent uh, work. He get, do I get in the club? Uh, yes. Okay. Good. So he he set us up, and it it about two years later, three years later, I realized the day after my dad died, I met the woman I was going to marry. How it fucking melted my mind. And then Sean set us up almost a year later. Life so, hinges on a couple seconds you never see coming. You never see it coming. And see, that's where. We as a society of control have to let go of that. Like you do the next, you do your best next action. You take the right action. You wake up, be where your feet are, 
try to be nice to people, but in the sense of the real pivots of your life. There's almost no one I know whose life has just been linear, point A to point B. It's just gone every way. If I, if I hadn't opened, you know what I mean? How did I meet Chris? I've been married for a long time. We have two beautiful children. How did that happen? That happened because I wasn't expecting it. And there he was. Man, it's But un- then I took the action. You see, I also wasn't passive. No. No, you weren't. You, De- I'm not Deborah Deb- pa- Deb- Deb- Hill was your Sean James. Right. And by the way, <laughs> weirdly enough, Deborah Hill wrote Halloween. Yeah. And so in a way, Deborah Hill has been the most influential person in my life, even though she's not with us anymore. Do you know what I mean? I mean, seriously, yeah. Deborah Hill who I think gave voice to all those characters in Halloween. I think all three of those girls are Deborah Hill kind of combined into one person. And, you know, I owe her literally my life. Did you know, when? because horror, well, the, the sort of contemporary horror as we know it, which was sort of born in the in the mid-70s, I'm going to say, that mm-hmm. sort of started the trend. I mean, obviously we had horror, some horror, we had horror before that, but just the sort of the contemporary like slasher film, like that type of being chased by a demon the way that we know now, that was really born then. Did you have a sense when you were no. making it of, no. it didn't have nothing. a sense? nothing, <laughs> nothing. It was just a job. It w- job, it was like a guerrilla filmmaking crew. It was 20 days, $300,000, fast, furious. Everybody was young. Everybody was way younger than you, Chris. (laughs) Like way younger than you. Younger than 29, right? I already said I was 47. It's all right. I mean, John Carpenter was the oldest person. He was 30. Oh, my God. Everybody was young. They were filmmakers. They'd all been to film school. And this was a feature. We were all making it together. And it, so there was this genuine sense of that being um, really quite uh, extraordinary. I don't think anybody, there's not a person involved with that movie who's going to bring back the Kavanaugh calendar and say, making Halloween, going to be big hit, going to spawn sequels, bitches. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> that is a very sassy prediction. But you know what I mean? Because everybody assumes that everybody knew. Right. Nobody knew anything. And if you had thought that, then it probably wouldn't have worked. It, it, if we were sleeping like on the floor. I, I, uh, there's a shot in Halloween where we were so tired that I passed out on a couch. And they woke me up to do a shot. And I have corduroy marks embedded in my cheek because i was so exhausted it was exhausting and it was exhilarating and fantastic but nobody not one human being involved with that movie had any sense that what we were making was special it didn't feel special it just felt like an exploitation movie and we were all doing everything we could to make it great and then when it started to become successful obviously uh, was great, but but it was not the intention. Nobody made the intention that was going to be some sort of fantastic cult classic. Not a clue. And that's probably the way to do it, to, because you you have to just like you were saying before. You put your feet on the ground and you live mm-hmm. in the moment. And if you're too you result your oriented, work. and you can't again, it's we get the most frustration in life when we're trying to control the world. But when we're just living and being in the world, then, you know, you can control, how, to, for the most part, how you respond to the world. But you can't force the world to do your bidding. I can tell you this. <clears throat> I have 
you know, obviously been in, in show off business for a very long time. And the horror genre is everything in my life, even though I have been able to go off and do a lot of other things. And I say this because most people don't know this. The pivot of life changing, life hinging on a couple seconds you don't see coming. People might look at my work and go like, okay, horror movies, trading places? Like, what? That's crazy. The reason I'm in trading places, one reason only, horror movies. The reason is because John Landis, the man who directed Trading Places, is a horror film fan, and he loves 50s horror movies. And he was doing a documentary called Coming Soon, those 50s horror movie trailers, Mm -hmm. and he needed somebody to narrate it. And who would that be? Hmm. Let's all think. He called me, never knew me, never met me, and he'd only seen my work in horror movies. But all of a sudden, I, this girl, showed up, and I'm, you know, hi, I'm Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm standing here on the back lot of Universal where so many, and it's a narration of, of horror movie trailers that John Landis shot in this documentary short that he put together that is available somewhere in the world. And that's where he met me. You see, John Landis would have never laid eyes on me and would have never gotten a sense of who I was and maybe the possibility that I could do something beyond a horror movie. And he single-handedly put me in training places. You know, and I know, this was the female lead in a Paramount picture starring Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, besides Ralph Bellamy, Don Amici, and Denim Elliott. You know and I know exactly what resistance he met when he said, oh, and I'm going to cast Jamie Lee Curtis as Ophelia. You know, are you kidding? I know. I've read what he's written. There was huge pushback. And he was like, no, that's who I'm hiring. Because he had figured it out after working with me. But nobody would have made, nobody would have made that, that hinge would not have just been like, oh, I should have had a V8. <laughs> oh, we should catch Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, it was because of horror movies. Well, can you please tell me? Oh, good, good. No, okay. no, no. But, and then from that was that. And then John Cleese wrote A Fish Called Wanda because of Trading Places. And Jim Cameron wrote True Lies because of A Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. So, again, you link it all back. It's all back to horror movies. And here I am now sitting with you with your bad jacket um <laughs> you mean bad like in the michael jackson sense bad like cool bad no it's sad it's bad. a sad jacket it's sad the new bad i feel it, like sad, it is. The new bad. sad is the new bad today it's simply <laughs> it's young hey i'm it's a, it's almost desperate but it's, it's not a, because you're because you're sweet and handsome and i'm and you can pull it off sort kind of. of i can no. take it off and just wear my um and just what does your shirt say oh it's doctor doctor satan lives it's oh, from a horror movie that wow. I did. I didn't mean to wear. I was never. This was never meant to see the light of day. I was going to wear this and cover up the fact that I wore a shirt from a movie that I was in. The one movie I ever did. Okay. Doesn't matter. It's a nice shirt. It's, a, it's all right. You're, you're sort of have a little repressed adolescence. It's fine. A little? That's yeah, generous. <laughs> okay. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's fine. And in my repressed adolescence, I do Trading Places uh, is a movie that I watch every year around the holidays. 
I've seen that movie maybe 150 times. I know that movie back to front. It is one of the best comedies in the history of comedy. Please tell me that it was fun to make. It was fun to make. Um, it was. I I remember a little bit of it. Um, I remember a little bit of it. I was engaged at the time to Michael Riva, who um, also has recently passed away, and he was a great uh, production designer and a wonderful man. He was also the grandson of Marlena Dietrich. Oh, wow. And I lived in her apartment on Park Avenue when I shot Trading Places because the, comp- the, you know, the movie company gave me a per diem. And Maria Riva, Michael's mother, her daughter, um, you know, Marlena's daughter, was the woman responsible, an adult woman responsible for my, Marlena's apartment. Marlena was in Paris. And it was, it was sort of a Sunset Boulevard apartment. I mean, it was, it was falling apart, but it was still her apartment with right. a round bed and mirrored, smoke-mirrored closets, the entire room. And I was going to rent it because I was given a monthly per diem. I gave that to the Rivas, and I lived at, on Park Avenue in this building. And the all I remember about it was that the linens were so expensive that it would have almost cost me my per diem to launder them. So I went out and bought like a twin sheet and like a little twin quilt and laid it on top of the bed, kind of curled up because I didn't want to launder these handmade, beautiful French linen sheets, which would have cost me my per diem. So I lived in – anyway, That's I remember that. I remember Dan Aykroyd picked me up. Uh, in his um, tinted, you know, blacked out Mercedes. Um, and he drove me around and showed me like the build. He, you know, he and John basically bought downtown. Like John Belushi and he, when they were on Saturday Night Live, they bought. They, do you remember the blues bar that they bought? They bought a bar because they couldn't go to a bar. Oh, right. So they bought a bar. They bought a building. They bought lots of buildings. So I remember like driving around with Danny and he showed me all these buildings downtown that he owned. That was cool. And then I remember one time John Landis got very angry at Eddie Murphy for being late. Like the first read through. Like we were all there. And then you kind of heard Eddie ambling down the hall like 20 minutes late or Mm -hmm. something. And uh, I don't know what was said between them, but I don't think... Eddie was ever late again. Oh, wow. Um, I, that's what I really remember. But whatever it happened worked. It was funny. Do you watch it? Do you ever no. go back and watch no. it? You don't? No. Mm-mm. It's a good movie. You should. Yeah, there are things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you watch yourself or do you not watch yourself? I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Once you do the thing, it's done. Oh, fine. Yeah. yeah. It's cute. I mean, it was funny, you know. Yeah, my name is Inga. I'm from Sweden. <laughs> but you're wearing little Yeah. My name is Inga. I'm from Sweden. The reason for that, nobody knows this. You think it was written that way. I It was written German. And I said to John, because um, Deborah Nadolman, who was his wife, um, was the costume designer. And it was a beautiful leather lederhosen. And it was written, she was a German girl. And I... I said to John, you know, I don't do a German accent. Do you want me to go to work with a dialect coach? He goes, no, no, whatever. And, you know, John is so great. He was like, yeah, whatever. And then, like, the week before, I was like, John, um, do you want me to work on the German accent? No, 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 whatever. And then, like, the day of the gig, he was like, so 
I was like, John, I don't like Octolibur. Please to help me with my rucksack. Like I don't, I don't like. Is that what you want? He goes, Well, what do you do? I said, Well, I don't do accents, John. He said, Well, no, you have to be able to do an accent. What do you do? I was like, I, I don't know. Swedish? Great, do it. I said, But it, <laughs> but it, it doesn't make any sense. He goes, Yeah, and it'll be funny. And sure enough, first take. Yeah, my name is Inga. I'm from Sweden. But you're wearing lederhosen. Hmm. Yeah. My name is Inga. I'm from Sweden. I have no idea why that was funny, but it was funny. That's great. But that's also just having the freedom to fuck around. Yeah. And that wasn't, you know, that was a very tight script. That was a beautifully written script. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, there was not a lot of, of, uh, you know, that was not a big improv movie. That was a, you know, beautifully constructed comedy script. So, uh, there wasn't that much fucking around. But in that case, there was. Because it's funny, because Denim Elliott's just f- funny. It was was Wanda loose, or was no. Wanda tight, no. very tightly? Well, written? no. L- have you ever seen John Cleese's writing, handwriting? No. G- Google it. There's got to be some sort of, like, you know, get well card that somebody got <laughs> that they put on eBay that went. He has the smallest writing of any human being you've ever seen, ever. It's tiny. It's minuscule. You cannot read it. You need a magnifying glass. It's tiny, 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 man, meticulous writing. And that just tells you that every single word was written with John. The only thing that happened is that he hired Kevin, mm-hmm. who is by nature a talented improviser. So Kevin would improvise. And then the rest of us would just try not to laugh, which in my case is not easy because I laugh really easily. That's good, though. No, it's horrible. No, no, no. no. Kevin Klein hates me because of it. No, because, and (laughs) I would hate me, too. Oh, Because if you're in a two-shot and you do something funny and I laugh, you can't use the shot. Right. It's like wasted comic goodness. And I've created, because of Kevin's hatred, um, (laughs) a method where I take a needle or a toothpick and I hold it between my fingers below the frame. And then I will squeeze it really hard between my fingers. Just to keep yourself from laughing? Yeah. <laughs> you need to patent that. No. No? Uh-uh. I... Tim Allen, when I did a movie with him, he was so funny all the time that I had a needle in my hand the whole movie. I just couldn't not laugh. I mean, at this point, you must just have, like, I have Allison. very painful fingers. <laughs> very, very painful fingers. <laughs> Happens all the time. So, with all of the horror... And we just watched Prom Night the other night, by the way. I did a little dancing in prom night. Just a little bit? I shook my tail feather a little <laughs> tiny bit. I had some high kicks. <laughs> That's when we were pretty much just into the horror of like, let's just slaughter all the teenagers. You know what? I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. All I can tell you is it had Leslie Nielsen in it. Yes. And he has the, pr- the yes. fart machine. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? When you're at a funeral of somebody and you're supposed to be sobbing. Bring a fart machine? And the guy next to you. Let's loose his fart machine as you're literally a young actor trying to hold on to the emotion of the scene and elicit, you know, actual feelings on film. And the guy next to you does fart noises with a machine in his pocket. You just kind of want to punch. It's like it wasn't it's not cute. It's not funny. You just Even from Leslie Nielsen? Well, it's sure. It's funny for ne- Leslie Nielsen. It's not funny when you're the recipient trying to be serious. Right. Right. But then after that, it really seemed like 
you were kind of bouncing back and forth between horror and comedy and horror and no, comedy. No, no, no. I did. I, you I did, did perfect. I no, no, no. I did Terror Train after Prom Night, and then that was it. Halloween two finished over. But done. Fog. No, the fog was second. It was, was after second. Halloween. Do you, you know why I'm in the fog? Why? Because I got no work, Chris Hardwick, <laughs> after Halloween. How's that Halloween possible? came out. John got work. John and Deborah um, wrote The Fog. Or did Deborah write The Fog? Yes, I think she did. Um, and what happened is I got no work. What I got, the movie, you know, we made the movie in March of 78. The movie came out October 78. The jobs I got after the movie Halloween. Number one, a Charlie's Angels episode where I play a professional golfer and I'm Cheryl Ladd's best friend. And in the episode, somebody's trying to kill her. And so they've sawn through a bridge that we are walking over, which collapses. And then an alligator comes and she has to wrestle an alligator in the little river. Well, sure. I got that job. Totally plausible. And then the other job I got, wait for it. What? Love Boat, <gasps> where my mother, Janet Lee, plays my mother on the Love Boat, and I'm on my honeymoon, and my mother, Janet Lee, comes on the honeymoon cruise. Oh, that's weird. Those two jobs <laughs> was I that got fun? Was that because fun? Halloween was so successful. Those are the jobs I got. So what happened is John Carpenter felt badly and wrote the part in The Fog for me and my mother um, because he felt badly. Did you like working with her? I mean, is it weird to work yeah, with her? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's, she's so sweet and so lovely and such a talented woman. But, I mean, it's hardly on Golden Pond. But I mean that, I mean, even Halloween, even when she was in H2O, it, you know, it was, it, it was homage Everything was right, homage right, right, and right, right, And right. by the way, we were all in on it. My, in H2O, she drives the car. She drove in Psycho. You know, I mean, there were, you know, there were beautiful homages to my beautiful mama. But I can't tell you that creatively it was a... Sure. It was a... Um, you know, it's not like we made Beautiful Boy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where we, where we had that kind of depth of feeling with each other. It was, it was very homage and something that I was very proud to stand there with her and watch the crew love the fact that Janet Lee was on the set. Right. right. And I, too, loved it. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. So... What I'm saying is, so I did The Fog, and then I did just to, I only made, like, four. I made Halloween, The Fog, Prom Night, Terror Train, and then Halloween 2. Five horror movies. Yeah, but people remember all of them. But I made five of them. Yeah. And then made no more for a very, very, very long time. Yeah, well, you so know. So I wasn't bouncing back and forth. I did those, and then I, and then pivoted to Trading Places virtually immediately. Um, Danny McBride was on the podcast. Maybe he like a is year and a, a half talented ago. fella, and he talked about. He was like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna write Halloween," and uh, I was like, "What? What the fuck? That sounds amazing!" And now here it is. I know, and it's amazing. How did how did that happen, Chris Hardwick? You know how what? am I sitting here talking to you, and people are just about? I don't know when. When is this on? 
Soon. Uh, like soon. soon. So soon is like in 2018? <laughs> in 2018. Okay, so, be 2018. so either you've seen the movie and you know that it's amazing or you're about to see the movie. It's just, I don't know. I've, I didn't, you know, I showed up and did my job. I told the truth as an actor. I told the truth of what I think happens to people when they're traumatized. And we've certainly seen enough evidence in the news in the last year of the depth of emotion, rage, fear, shame, tragedy. We've seen, and the book and the movie is about what happens to somebody when they carry that kind of trauma for 40 years. So I showed up to tell that truth. Let Danny and, you know, basically David, it's not Danny, Danny didn't direct the movie, he, he co-wrote it with, with um, David and Jeff Fradley, but David, Gordon Green, let him be a film director, and he is a film director. And so the movie is great because of David Gordon Green. It's a great movie. And, you know, I'm, we're starting to get the, the, the swirl, you know. People are liking it. The critics are liking it. We got the best review from Rolling Stone you could ever want. I am a marketing person. I mentioned this to Yes, you. yes, yes. You know, I'm the marketing girl that went the first day on the set of Halloween in Lori's house. I was sitting, getting used to this house that they have dressed as my house. And on the bookshelf, there was a book called Let Us Pray, (laughs) P-R-E-Y. I took a picture of it and sent it to the marketing team at Universal. It was like, we're done. There's your tagline right there. Halloween, let us pray. I was, it was amazing. So, why am I telling you this? Did they use it? No. They you were didn't. talking about the marketing of the movie? You were marketing, talking about when the studio, you said Rolling Stone gave it the best All review right. okay, ever? Okay, so, so, and I'm, not, you know, I read reviews. I've read horrible reviews about me, like horrible, horrible, horrible reviews. And I've read fantastic reviews. So, I've been. Uh, I I remind myself of all the bad ones whenever there's a good one because, Mm -hmm. you know, the good ones make you feel great, but the bad ones make you feel like shit. Right. And I've had all of it. (laughs) I made the movie Virus. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to say any more. So I was minding my own business doing the Halloween Hustle one day and somebody sent me David Fear's review for Rolling Stone magazine. And it either ends or opens with... Six words with a period in between. You will freak the fuck out. And I wrote an email to all the marketing people at Universal and all the marketing people at Blumhouse, all the marketing people at um, Malik Akkad's company. And I said, we're done. (laughs) We're done. We don't need to do anything else. You put a billboard up anywhere in the world. With those six words, you will freak the fuck out. Rolling Stone magazine, you're done. Like, we're done. Our work is done. We should save all the money on the marketing and, you know, let's go have a vacation somewhere because we're done. (laughs) If people don't go see that movie, we're done. Did they use it? Oh, fuck yes. Yes. Oh, no, it's everywhere. But that's my point. So I'm that marketing person. I'm the girl who remembers driving on the the 101 toward Hollywood and seeing the billboard outside Universal that was black and it had 
the words, in space, no one can hear you scream. Right. Nobody knew what alien was before the word alien was attached anywhere. They had billboards that said, in space, no one can hear you scream. And I'm telling you, I'm a marketing person. Whoever did that is a genius. And, you know, we are we are done with you can freak the fuck out. You will freak the fuck out. It is. We have a new little hashtag now. It's fantastic. Um, as we're sort of wrapping this up. Oh, I my think God. I know. Chris. They just said you only had five minutes. What do you mean? I just they just I was just told you have five minutes because you well, got to do a thing. Well, it's because I have. You're going to do screening. I'm. Do, 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 the hustle. I am, baby. But I don't feel like I'm hustling with you, which is good. No, it's, I, listen. It's all good. I'm happy to be here. You have to know that I just, I adore you. You've always been so kind to me. Well, you're, you know, kindness is, or kind, whatever, you know, kindness gives by what kindness gets back. I'm Look. No, listen. You want to know what the truth is? What is the truth? We're both trying to be who we are in this universe that is weird. It is. And we're both trying to do it with integrity. Yeah. We're both trying to do it with some humor. And we're both very much trying to be who we are and not try to pretend to be somebody else. And like take it or leave it, love it or hate it. We are who we are. And I think we recognize that. I think so too. In each other and that... I hope that I show up with integrity. I know you show up with integrity and that the rest of it is, as they say, dross. You know, it just doesn't really matter. Like it's not because the rest of it isn't up to us anyway. Right. But if we can, you know, show up and, and you know, do what we're doing right here, right this second, almost not saying anything is the way that I know that we're, you know, you know, I you know, know what you, you mean. Know, you know. But being present, putting your feet on the ground, embracing who you are, wearing the amazing retro yeah. zip-up hoodies. Or not. <laughs> Again, Which is also a choice. This is going to creep into your brain later. You're going to be like, you know what? I was no. wrong. It was great. No. I'm going to get a text from you in no. tw- 48 hours. No. You know what? You're going to get a text. You know what the text is going to say. What? Thank you. <laughs> yes. And... If you ever need me, you'll call me. I will. Because that's how it works. I am, and I'm here if you ever need anything, too. I, I honestly, anything you ever need, I will do for you. I swear. Anything you ever, if you need, I will help you move. Which, if you ever move, oh, I will. I'm, dude, I'm the mover of people. You don't, want, you don't want to know someone who's better at moving <laughs> than me. There's no one better on a move day showing up at 530 in the morning than me. Because I not only bring you coffee and bread products, I am unbelievable on move day. Really? Oh, I'm I'm a master. You Who know, did they pick to write about the effect of Marie Kondo on the world? The woman who wrote the book about the Japanese right, 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 right. Yes, 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 yes. Who did they pick? The to KonMari write method. The KonMari method. Who did they pick to write about her for Time magazine when she was voted one of the hundred? Most fabulous people. Was it? Um, mm, was it Peter Falk? Yes, uh, it was me. <laughs> oh my God! What? I, I didn't see that coming. I know you didn't. I do like the KonMari method. Well, but, but I, I'm I am. Not good at it. I was her before she was even born. That's really what I. I. I am that person. 
So I'm the person you want on move day because I'll be like, why are you keeping that fucking sweatshirt? Seriously. <laughs> Kiss it goodbye and send it. Okay. Well, then you're going to be better than me because I'll be like, oh, you might need that sometime. Let's just save the thing. Let's just save it. So I, I do have one quick question. Please. So your podcast is for nerdy kind of people? I mean, I People think love like that deep, nerdy, deep background. I think so. Secret stuff. I'm actually not sure. I just do it. And I know, whoever... but so if I gave up a secret here on... Maybe that would be something they would be interested in. Would they be interested in it or would they hate you for it and then like stop they... listening? No, they would love it. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to give you a secret <clears throat> right here, right now. Okay. Which uh, is for you only, so don't tell anybody. It's just between us. Um. I'm going to introduce you to someone, and then I'm going to introduce you to why I'm introducing you to someone. Okay. <laughs> so. There, where did that baby come from? <clears throat> when you see the movie Halloween, and you see Michael Myers walk through a house and wreak some havoc... And you hear a little baby crying in its crib. That's me. Two starring roles. Just letting you know. Two. That's what we call an Easter egg. Two fucking starring roles in Halloween. I have just Halloween. given you an Easter egg. This is fantastic. That is Happy Easter. I mean, thank you for the early Easter present. You're very welcome. And, uh, and thank you for thank doing you, this. Thank you, Chris Hardwick. You're thank a you, very Curtis. sweet person. I appreciate that. So I are you. I appreciate you. you. Uh, enjoy your burrito. Enjoy your shit yogurt, everyone. No, no. They no. fired me. Oh, don't. They, you know in. what? They hired Shakira because they thought at that point that she would be more relatable. <laughs> You really don't want to shit your pants when you're shaking your hips on a stage. They literally hired Shakira. ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new. Stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.